Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Today, we are talking all about insulin resistance and how this can hugely impact your metabolism, your ability to burn fat, your ability to lose weight, and how this directly correlates with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's and how it affects the cell, what it can do to your lab numbers. We are going to talk all about it. Everything insulin resistance. We're also going to go over what you can do about it. And we're going to go over how you can actually kind of take a peek at your own labs and your own numbers. And even if you've been told that everything is normal, you know, I hate that word, normal, air quotes, normal. Even if you've been told that all of your numbers look normal and fine, you yourself can look and see if you have insulin resistance and you can see how it's impacting you today. I'm Amy Horneman, functional medicine practitioner, nutritionist, and specialist in treating thyroid conditions, broken metabolisms, and hormone imbalances. My goal for over 24 years has always been to help my patients get their life back. And that's what we're here to give you. We're giving you the simple, actionable strategies to actually fix your thyroid. That's why I created the Thyroid Fix Podcast. So if you're struggling with weight, energy, brain fog, and hair loss, then hey, you're in the right place. Let's get you fixed. Okay, let's get into this. So insulin resistance. First, let's start about what it is. Let's think about the body, the pancreas, and I'm going to break this down really super simple, really simple for you here. Are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. The body releases insulin. So the pancreas releases insulin in response to the food that we eat. Insulin's job, I I like to call insulin the Jekyll and Hyde hormone because we need it for survival. We need insulin. Insulin has to get into the cell. Think about a type one diabetic. They have to take insulin to survive. They have to take it. If they don't, bad things happen, bad things. So insulin needed for survival in excess, it becomes the fat storage, nasty hormone. And it just stores, stores, stores fat left and right, making it basically impossible for you to lose weight. And we're going to talk about how it impacts the thyroid here in a moment. So insulin released by the pancreas in response to the food that you eat. And then all of our cells have insulin receptor sites on them. So insulin has to get into the cell. Think of it like a little door, right? A little door that 
can open up and let insulin in like a nice little neighbor. Come on in. I'll give you some pie. Okay, but what if you are insulin resistant? That means your cells are resistant to the insulin that's trying to get in. The doors are closed. Insulin goes back into the system. Like I said, this is a very basic review just to get you to understand and kind of picture this in your mind. So any practitioners or nurses out there, don't judge. I'm breaking this down really simple, making it really simple. Insulin goes back into the system. It raises your blood glucose level, too much insulin high glucose. Now it's just storing fat left and right. It's storing fat, putting you in a really bad situation. Now, in addition to that, it's not all about weight, high insulin, the fastest way to age, keep your insulin high, high insulin will cause disease. It will cause inflammation. Now we are calling Alzheimer's type three diabetes because of its relationship to high insulin levels and the plaque that forms on the brain. High insulin is just bad all the way around. We do not want you to be insulin resistant. So the question comes in, before we get into how it affects the thyroid, the question comes in, how do you know? How do you even know if you're insulin resistant? So number one, there's glucose. So you get a comp metabolic panel, a CMP, comp metabolic panel. And you look at that fasting. And I mean fasting. I don't mean you drink a cup of coffee and then go get your blood work done. You want it to be absolute fasting. So you look at that fasting glucose and in functional medicine, we want it below an 86. And the reason why I say that is because you are going to look at that standard, normal, conventional lab value range, and it's going to go up to 99, 100, 110 before you even get a little flag, before you get that H next to it, before it's it's colored red for your doctor to look at and say, oh, look at this. There's something going on here. There's still something going on if you are above an 86. So some stats for you, if your fasting blood sugar is between a 94 and a 99, you have a 200% chance of developing diabetes. I will repeat that. If your fasting blood glucose, your blood sugar, the glucose reading that's on that CMP, if you are truly fasted and it is between 94 and 99, you have a 200% chance of developing diabetes. Obviously, over 99, your percent goes up, 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 and you're kind of creeping into that pre-diabetic, diabetic range anyways, and that's where you'll actually get flagged, but we have to look at it before you get flagged. We want to do things and fix you and get you better before you get to the point where conventional doctors are saying, hey, Susie Q, there's a problem here. Once your doctor says there's a problem, there's been a problem for years, if not decades. So we want to catch it early, early, early. The other thing we can do is look at your A1C level. So hemoglobin A1C is a three-month average. It's a three-month snapshot of what your glucose that we just talked about has been doing. So if A1C Again, you look at that standard lab value range, you're not getting flagged until you're above a 5.6. Functional medicine, we like it down around a 5, 5.1. It does not lie. A1C does not lie, except in the case, I have to say this, except in the case of some athletes that can actually have thicker red blood cells and can have spike in insulin post-exercise. So their A1C might be a little bit elevated, But in a fit athlete, pro athlete, fit person, we're not overly concerned about that. We kind of take that into account. We're looking at hemoglobin. We're looking at hematocrit. We're looking at all of that too. So it just, 
they might have a little bit of a stickier red blood cell. But if you're the average Joe and you're not getting paid in the millions for being on a football field, then you might want to look at your A1C and say, hey, is this, am I between a 4.8 and 5.1? Because if I'm not, that's something maybe to consider. And then if you have a thyroid problem on top of that, even more, even more to consider, even more. So one way to test your your cell, one way to test your own glucose level, if you can't, maybe you can't get to a testing facility, maybe you can't because of insurance reasons, you can't get these tests very often. Maybe your insurance is limiting you to, ah, you can only get this done once every three months, but you want to know. If you're making changes in your life and your lifestyle and your diet, you want to know. So one thing that you can do, and this is even, you can do this at home. It is inexpensive. Oftentimes I even have my patients do it as we're making changes to see what exactly is going on. You can get a glucometer, Walmart, Walgreens, they're inexpensive. Get a glucometer, get the glucometer strips and test your glucose first fasted. So first thing in the morning, fasted. Now, don't be alarmed if it's a little bit elevated first thing in the morning because you can't have that cortisol wakening response where that glucose will go up because of cortisol going up to wake you up in the morning. That's assuming cortisol is fine. So take it first thing in the morning and then take it every 15 minutes starting at the 30-minute mark after you eat for two hours. So I'll say that again because you're probably like, what did she just say? You eat a meal. It's 5 p.m. After you're done with that meal, starting at 5.30, you're going to take it at 5.45 and then 6 and then 6.15 and 6.30 and 6.45 and 7 and 7.15 and 7.30. So take it every 15 minutes for two hours. You don't have to do it with every single meal. I know it's kind of a pain. Maybe do it with your dinners. Have that glucometer on hand to take if you feel like a little bit dizzy or you're kind of out of it through the day and you're not feeling right. Test your blood sugar. So that's one way you can test at home. And we want to see your blood glucose never go above 120. Even after a peak, it should be 90 or less after two hours. We don't want to see you go above a 120, even postprandial, post-meal. So test it yourself. See what's going on. Sometimes that fasting glucose on a CMP isn't enough to really tell what's going on with a person through the day. Especially, let's say you come to me and I look at your CMP and your glucose is an 86, real pretty, but yet you're telling me I can't lose weight, I keep gaining, I'm craving carbs and sugar, then you might actually have reactive hypoglycemia where, yeah, your morning glucose is low, but then when we start having you do the glucometer test and testing postprandial, postmeal, we're seeing these big spikes. So that tells us something as well. So sometimes you can't just go by that, that fasting glucose. That's why on my patients, I like getting the A1C. I also like getting a fasting insulin. Insulin, fasting insulin marker, I want that, again, we're not going by the standard lab value range. I want it down in the bottom. I want it six or below. You might be told that you're normal even when you're coming in at a 12, and this varies per lab, so don't freak out if you get your labs and you're like, oh my gosh, this isn't right. My lab is totally different. It goes from 10 to 30. We want it in the bottom half, that bottom quadrant 
of the insulin range. So that's another test that you can get as well to check for insulin resistance. Over 100, glucose starts to actually damage the islet cells in the pancreas. So everything above 120, you're starting to get damage to your nerves, you're starting to get damage to your retina, you're starting to get damage to your kidneys, you're damaging the cell. That's why we see long-term type 2 diabetics go blind, lose a foot, lose a toe. It's doing cellular damage. It's doing tissue damage. It's doing eye damage when you're running around with a glucose above a 120 all the time, or you're spiking yourself to above a 120 at each and every meal or every single time that you eat. Now, over 100, the glucose starts to just damage the islet cells in the pancreas. Chronic pain can be associated with insulin resistance because of the inflammation that occurs with high insulin. So when you're running around with high insulin levels, high glucose levels, you might notice that you're in a little bit more pain. Pay attention to that. That will cause inflammation. Hands down, it will cause inflammation. High insulin and our sex hormones, I know you're hanging on for the thyroid stuff, we're going to get to that. High insulin can also be because your usable testosterone and estrogen go down. So usable testosterone and estrogen go down, insulin goes up. So there's a correlation there with the sex hormones too. High insulin will drive, like we said earlier, plaque in the brain. It will drive inflammation. It will cause weight gain. It can cause kidney damage, eye damage, Alzheimer's, brain damage, and then it can also start to affect your hormones and at the cell level, your thyroid. So how? High insulin actually causes TSH to go up and affects the thyroid receptors on the cell. So your labs can be totally normal, but the thyroid hormone itself can't get into the cell. So this is where we see people with thyroid hormone numbers, and I will use the term optimal rather than normal. Thyroid hormone numbers are even optimal or close to optimal. Maybe you're coming in with a TSH of a one and then your, your free T3 is like a 3.2. Oh, it's almost there. And your, and your reverse T3 is below a 12 and your free T4 is like a 1.5, but you still have all the symptoms. You're still gaining. You're not losing. You can't lose no matter what you do could be the insulin. So that high insulin will actually, well, you might see your TSH creep up. Maybe, maybe not. But remember, we don't dose or diagnose based on TSH alone. So that high insulin can actually block the cell and cause resistance to thyroid hormone. Whether that's you're undiagnosed, let's say you've been told you're completely normal, and that's a whole other topic right there. Or you are taking thyroid hormone medication. Most of you who who are listening are on some kind of thyroid hormone replacement therapy and you really want it to work because you want your life back and you want to feel good and you want to be able to lose weight. You want to have energy and you want your hair to grow and you want to be in a good mood. But if it's not getting into the cell, it doesn't really matter what your blood work says. And side note, this is functional medicine. This is where we look at you as a whole person. This is where we're not just going by your lab values. Even if your labs are optimal, but you're still telling me that you're gaining weight and you can't lose, then they're not optimal for you and or something else is going on. Maybe there is that thyroid hormone resistance at the cellular level because of high insulin. Now, inverse relationship, low T3 
can actually cause insulin resistance because T3 has to be adequate in the cell to allow the receptors and the GLUT4 transporter. We have transporters of glucose for that GLUT4 transporter to transport glucose into the cell. So I'm going to say that again, low T3. So here's your labs. We're looking at your labs. You're coming in at like a 2.6, 2.7. You're not flagged low, but per functional medicine standards, you're low. You're not at 3.5 or above, you're low. So low T3 can cause insulin, insulin resistance because T3 has to be adequate in the cell to allow the receptors to take it in and allow those GLUT4 transporters to transport glucose into the cell. So when there is a cellular hypothyroid state, this is where your cell goes, danger, 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 danger. Well, what is it? Will Robinson? Did I get that right? I think I'm a little bit too young for that, but I've heard the term. I've heard the, the movie saying, correct me if I'm wrong. Anyways, the cell sends out a danger response. And this can be, listen, maybe you're under high amounts of stress. I get that. Maybe you're not sleeping very well. You're only getting four hours of sleep. That's a stress on the body. So the cell starts to freak out and says, danger, danger. And then there is cellular hypothyroidism. Now, this is all, this all comes before you're actually full-blown glandular hypothyroidism. This can be the beginning stages, right? Cellular hypo, not enough T3. So anyone that has thyroid issues, either you're in the early stages or you're in the later stages, you've been diagnosed for 10 years and you're just still not optimized. Um, anyone that has it, we have to consider what your T3 status is and do you have insulin resistance? So cellular hypothyroidism with low T3 or even full-blown glandular hypothyroidism usually has insulin resistance paired up to it. I see it about 98% of the time about 98% of my patients that have hypothyroidism have insulin resistance. And when someone comes to me with insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes, we definitely look at a full thyroid panel. So I'll give you an example. Numbers come back. Now, her doctor dropped the ball, didn't test the antibodies, didn't test reverse T3. So we have to go back and get that done. But TSH was just a little bit over a 2 2.9-ish, 2.95. Functional medicine, we like TSH below a 2. Free T3 is 2.7, not really adequate. 2.6, 2.7, not adequate. Free T4 is like 0.9 or 1.0. So there's definitely a hypo state going on that she has not been diagnosed yet, by the way. She is not on thyroid medication. She has not ever, ever, ever been given the diagnosis of hypothyroidism. So right now we're seeing this cellular hypothyroid response, subclinical hypothyroidism. We don't know yet about the Hashimoto's. Bear with me. I know we asked for it. Of course we did, but they dropped the ball. So we're waiting on that. She could be in the beginning stages of Hashi where those numbers just kind of start to tweak a little bit. They start to change a little bit, but the antibodies are there. Bam, Hashi. Her A1C is a six. We know she has insulin resistance slash pre-diabetes walking really closely into the line of full-blown type 2 diabetes. That we know. So based on all of that information alone, we can say she needs some kind of thyroid treatment. 
Maybe we just support the thyroid and see how that does. We got to have those antibodies come back. We need to see the reverse T3. We need to see an iodine level now because maybe her iodine's low and we can supplement with that and that can support. We have to find out more information, but there you go. There you have it. You get the low T3, you have the high A1C and high fasting glucose as well. So think about that. T3 has to be adequate in the cell to allow the receptors to transport glucose into the cell. Low T3 can cause insulin resistance. It can cause it. We see it all the time, paired up all the time, all the time. Now, back to the inflammation point. Inflammation will cause cortisol to go up and then glucose goes up. So if you're in a lot of pain, oftentimes untreated, undertreated, mistreated hypothyroidism causes joint pain, muscle pain. That's one of those symptoms that we don't really think about all the time. We don't really talk about all the time, but it's there. So when you have that increased inflammation, that's going to cause cortisol, your stress hormone, to rise, and then glucose is going to go up. Now you're riding that high glucose again. And remember, we said above a 120, you're talking kidney damage, tissue damage, retina damage, not good. And then it's going to affect your thyroid as well. A big feedback loop. You can see how everything is connected, right? Everything is connected in one way or another. The body is amazing, amazing. And it responds to what we do. So insulin resistance can be caused by an excessive intake of carbohydrates and processed foods. Yes, absolutely. Because you're driving, you're forcing your pancreas to secrete all that insulin. Then your cells are resistant to insulin. Let's say you've been under a lot of stress. That's going to cause insulin resistance. It's also going to cause a cellular hypothyroid state. Yes, it could be things that you're doing. But you can also have insulin resistance for many different reasons. Uh, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, you can have it because of dysregulated sex hormones, your progesterone, your estrogen, your testosterone. You think about all that. High insulin is going to affect progesterone and sex hormone receptors too. Pay attention to your heart rate after food. This is another little indicator too. So yes, use the glucometer, test your blood sugar, half an hour after you eat, every 15 minutes for two hours, but also pay attention to your heart rate because if you're eating something that's high in carbohydrates or high in sugar, or you have insulin resistance, and let's say you eat an apple, which is sugar, if your heart rate jacks up through the roof, that's a big indicator that that's not a food that your body likes, and that's a food that is jacking up your blood glucose, and it's probably also raising your cortisol levels. So you're actually having a stress response to that food. Now, if you're eating a donut, I don't want to hear about it. That's on you. But if you're eating something halfway decent and your heart rate increases significantly after eating it, that's a big red flag for insulin resistance. So oftentimes I'll get questions about sugar and carb cravings. If you have sugar and carb cravings, if you're the type of person that is actually addicted to sugar, like legit addicted. And we know that this is true because the part of the brain that lights up with sugar is the same part of the brain that lights up with cocaine. So if you are truly addicted to sugar, this is a big red flag that insulin resistance could be present. If you're addicted to carbohydrates, you're a carboholic, this could be a big red flag that insulin resistance could be present. If you cannot go 12 hours without eating, your signaling is off. Your glucose and insulin signaling is off. You should be able to go 12 hours. Now, some people have that reactive hypoglycemia where they can go 
they, well, they can't go more than three or four hours without eating, or they start to get shaky and lightheaded and hangry. That's an indicator of insulin resistance because remember, wherever there's a high, there's an equal and opposite low. So if you're jacking your blood glucose and your insulin high, you're going to crash. And that's where you are going to crave carbs and sugar. You are going to be really hangry. And it's your body's biological mechanism of telling you, go eat. Because we don't like being this low. Don't like low blood sugar. Not fun. Not good. Your body wants you to raise your blood sugar up to baseline. But the trouble is when we get that signal and we get the carbon sugar cravings, we go for the vending machine. We go for the latte and the frappuccino. And now we're jacked up again. So now you're on the, on the high end of the roller coaster again. And then you go back down low. Where there's a high, there's an equal and opposite low. You might be insulin resistant or have reactive hypoglycemia and not be able to go for long periods of time without eating. We should all be able to do a 12-hour fast in our sleep, no pun intended, sleep included, right? So you stop eating at, let's say, I don't know, even if you're a late-night snacker, that's cool if you're eating the right things, stop eating at 9 p.m. And if you can't wake up and make it till 9 a.m. before putting something in your mouth, that's a problem. So there's another indicator that there might be a blood sugar dysregulation, insulin-resistant, pre-diabetic state going on because you can't even make it 12 hours and half of it you're sleeping, over half of it you're sleeping. So that's a big red flag too. Pay attention to your body's own signals to determine whether or not you have insulin resistance. So what do we do about it? First of all, let's optimize your thyroid because that's going to be a big player. But at the same time, because they play with each other back and forth, we have to address the insulin resistance. Dietary changes are common sense. You got to get rid of the processed foods. You got to get rid of the sugar. You have to lower your carbohydrate intake. I'm not saying necessarily keto, although I'm a fan. If you don't want to do that, just lower your carb intake. So you're not jacking your insulin and blood sugar all day long with everything that you put in your mouth. Second part of that might be trying to eat three square meals a day instead of this 1990s way of thinking of eating every two hours to keep your metabolism up and fuel the fire, air quotes once again. We don't want to eat every two hours because every time you eat, your pancreas secretes insulin. We said that in the beginning. Every time you eat, your pancreas secretes insulin. If you're pumping out insulin every two hours through the day, then you're always in that high insulin state, especially if you are insulin resistant. So small dietary changes, go to three square meals a day. Maybe you're, you've incorporated intermittent fasting and you can do two meals a day. That's great. Eat less often. Don't eat less, eat less often. That's a quote by Dr. Pompa, Dr. Dan Pompa. Don't eat less, eat less often. That's just true. You don't have to eat less. We're not asking you to be a bird. We're asking you to just eat less often and not shove your face with food every few hours because that's going to spike insulin and keep your insulin and glucose high. So dietary changes are one. My favorite supplement, and I've talked about this in a separate video you can check out on my YouTube channel, is berberine. So berberine, go ahead, my nerds, look up Google Scholar, type in berberine and obesity, berberine and insulin resistance, berberine and type two diabetes. And you will find a slew of articles, medical literature backing the use of berberine. I also myself with a colleague published a case study that I talk about often because I'm so proud of it, where 
through the use of a ketogenic diet and berberine synergy by Designs for Health. So it had berberine and alpha-lipoic acid in it. ALA helps with blood sugar too. Through the use of that, his A1C, well, we reversed his diabetes. A1C went from 13.9 to 5.4 in six months. So the actual stats are it went from 13.9 to 8.4 in six weeks. We were able to get him off insulin. So he started as an insulin-dependent diabetic. Blood sugars, 500, 600. Then we saw him trickle down, four, three, two. And then by the time we hit the six-month mark, where his A1C was a 5.4, it's probably even lower now. We haven't tested him in a year, or he hasn't told me, but we should retest his A1C. Then his blood glucose started going down. Now we were seeing 90s and 80s and 95 and 100 and 110. And he remained under that 120 umbrella postprandial and reversed his diabetes. So I love me some berberine. So I will put in the link to the berberine that I love. So Design for Health Berberine Synergy. You take one per day to start because it does have some GI effects. So those of you familiar with metformin, it works very much like metformin to lower and balance out that that roller coaster that we talked about. It makes it more like a wave-like pattern. And when you're in that nice wave-like pattern, your body can actually tap into its own fat stores for fuel. And you're not getting those high carb sugar cravings because you're not dipping down low. You're keeping yourself nice and steady. So we start off with one per day, then we gradually increase to two, then we increase to three. In really hard cases, we use around 2,000 milligrams, but really about um, 14 to 1,500 milligrams is adequate for most people. Once we get to that three per day mark, you take it with food, with each of your main meals, if you're doing three meals a day, like we just talked about, don't eat less, eat less often, three meals a day. So you take that with food and you will notice a dramatic change in how you feel in your appetite in your carbon sugar cravings in your blood sugar readings if you're doing them yourself a1c readings will come down if we're testing those every three months because that's a three-month average and your fasting insulin will come down as well and hey you'll actually be able to lose fat now remember you're kind of doing double duty with this when you lower your insulin you're actually improving the effectiveness of your thyroid medication so you don't, you're not in that cellular state, that cellular hypo state where there's just not enough T3 getting into the cell. So you're doing yourself a service on both sides of the fence. I like Berberine Synergy by Designs for Health. I've said this before. I like Designs for Health, period, because they're family owned. Everything is made in the USA. They have a physician on staff. Their philosophy is science first. That's where I go. And I'll give you a story too. Some of you have heard this. I'm going to repeat it. We have a family friend who came to me a couple years ago. Listen, I have, I got the sugar, right? Older people call it the sugars. I got the sugars, high blood glucose, pre-diabetic insulin resistant. Also, he had a little bit higher of a cholesterol panel, lipid panel. It was a little bit elevated. Doctor wanted to put him on statins. Wife said, no way. He said, no way. I say, no way. I said, so let's work on your insulin to bring that down. That's naturally going to kind of make those cholesterol numbers look a little bit more pretty, although they weren't that bad. Again, that's a whole nother topic that we can get into. So instead of buying the Berberine Synergy from Designs for Health, his daughter worked in some 
health food store, vitamin world, vitamin shop, vitamin university. I don't even know. Got him, of course, at wholesale or with her discount, a different brand of berberine. I pleaded with him. I said, please take the designs for health. I know it works. Yeah, it's $10 more, but I know it works. He didn't do it. One year later, he gets another set of labs drawn. Not one number moved. Not one. His glucose did not go down at all. His A1C didn't change. Yes, he changed his diet. His wife was cooking. They have a they have a garden, they have fresh vegetables, they have venison, they have cows that he raises on his farm and then slaughters fresh meat, freezer full of meat. They were eating well. The occasional snack, but the occasional snack isn't going to keep someone in a pre-diabetic state like that without any change in numbers whatsoever. So this is why it's very, very important to use a good brand. And I will put that link in the show notes, in the description for you to get, if you find through all this, through all of our talk here, that you have insulin resistance and you know you need to treat it. As always, thank you for listening. I urge you to share this, share this, share this, share this. So many people need this because they were walking around. Do you know, real quick stat here to end it before I get to the questions, 95% of Americans are insulin resistant. Many of those are undiagnosed. It's kind of like hypothyroidism, right? A lot of people walking around undiagnosed because docs are just testing TSH. They're still looking at their 1950s textbooks. Same thing with insulin resistance. We have a whole different set of parameters in functional medicine, whole different set of optimal numbers in functional medicine. It's very, very important to go by optimal, not just normal. 95% of Americans are walking around with insulin resistance, meaning you're not going to lose weight. You're going to have all of the diseases that come along with that, that come along with obesity, that come along with carrying around that excess weight, and then that come along with high insulin levels. You're going to age quickly. Your brain's going to age. You're going to age. Your skin's going to age. Your body's going to age. And dis-ease, disease, is going to come on. So now's the time to do something about it. As always, thank you so much for listening. And now it's time to get to your questions. Uh, Jennifer says, I love salt and carbs. Listen, girl, you know, we all do. I mean, I'm not saying that curing or treating or addressing insulin resistance is going to remove your desire for that warm piece of bread coming out of the oven. It's not. You're still going to kind of want it. You know, you smell it. And you're like, ooh, that's like mom's cooking. Or listen, if you put a piece of chocolate in front of me or a brownie, that's fine. I'm still going to want it. But when I taste it, if it's real, like if it's a real brownie, I'm going to be like, "Woo, that's really sweet. Or if it's milk chocolate, I'm going to say, whoa, that's really sweet, too sweet for me. So it's just going to kind of calm those, we'll say, cravings and things that you like. Donna says, many are poorly treated on hypothyroidism. Uh, yes. Yes. So I see patients coming to me that are completely undiagnosed, like the case that I gave you of the um, woman that I'm working with right now. So totally undiagnosed. Many of them are being mistreated, undertreated. They're stuck on T4 only. They're stuck in the T4 synthroid box. That's not good. Doctors aren't testing everything. So they're not testing 
the full panel. They're not looking at free T3. Many doctors uh, say that reverse T3 is pointless. And I don't know, I've, I've probably mentioned this before, but for those of you who are listening now and didn't catch this in a, in a previous episode, I actually had a patient who said that her doctor compared T3, so leothyronine, cytomel, T3 therapy, T3 thyroid hormone replacement therapy medication, compared it to cocaine. It's the, most, it's the craziest thing I've ever heard yet. I've heard a lot of crazy things from conventional medicine through the years. But that one just, it, it bears repeating because it's, it's that crazy. It really is that crazy. So yes, so many are being poorly treated because you have docs with these 1950s textbooks looking at TSH only. You have doctors that believe somewhere in their mind that it compares to cocaine. So that is where we are in today's society. But luckily, there's people out there that specialize in the thyroid that can actually help you and get you into an optimized state. So no matter who you're working with, what you're looking for, you want to make sure that that particular person, practitioner, doctor knows the thyroid, knows the thyroid, tests more than the TSH and the free T4, treats with something other than T4 monotherapy. So keys in getting out of your hypothyroid state that you may have been in for decades. Emma, can you talk about reverse T3 and T3 on keto? Sure. So, Miss Emma, um, first of all, let's cover really quickly. And do I still have time? Yeah, I still have time. So reverse T3 is kind of, for lack of a better word, I call it the anti-T3. It's the anti-thyroid hormone. T4 whether it's produced by your thyroid itself or you're taking T4 converts to free T3 or it can convert to reverse T3. We never want reverse T3 to go high. Reverse T3 is also your body's kind of survival mechanism. So we'll see reverse T3 go up in times of extreme sickness. If you test somebody in the ICU, they're probably going to have a high reverse T3. It's your body's way of saying, hey, let's slow down the metabolism to conserve energy and protect this person. So even in the cellular stress state, like we talked about, times of stress, lack of sleep, reverse T3 can go up from that. Uh, reverse T3 can be elevated in an estrogen-dominant state, in a high insulin state, because insulin will prevent T4 to T, or not totally prevent it, but it's definitely going to get in the way of T4 to T3 conversion, so it'll push it to reverse T3 instead. So if you think about it, on a keto diet, you are lowering your insulin level. You are lowering your lowering your glucose level. So when you test your glucose, doing the test that we just talked about with a glucometer, you will see lower and lower numbers, usually between like 80 and 110, right? All those numbers should be in that kind of range. So on a keto diet, you are naturally lowering your insulin, which will then help with T4 to T3 conversion and not push that T4 to reverse T3. Now you have to remember though, Emma, there are other factors, low ferritin level, inadequate magnesium, selenium, iodine. I mean, there's so many other factors that come into play when we're talking about conversion. That's why I always say T4 to T3 conversion is like a marathon with hurdles. Like it's not easy. It's not easy for your body to do. And if you have Hashimoto's, it's really not easy for your body to do, which is why we often use T3 therapy to help that process along. Um, so keto, definitely beneficial 
in my eyes, I believe, for people that can do it, or even just low carb. You don't even have to necessarily get into a state of ketosis unless it's medically necessary, unless we're working together. And I'm like, hey, this is craziness. We need to get you here to get you to your goals, change this number and change that number. But even just dropping your carbs and doing what we talked about earlier, Emma, just um, get the processed stuff out. Lower your sugar intake. That alone is going to help across the board. It's going to help your entire body. It's going to lower the inflammation. It's going to lower insulin. And then it's going to help with that T4 to T3 conversion instead of pushing to reverse T3. Why do people say keto lowers T3? Because um, they haven't done their research. So here's the thing, uh, Emma. I know that's kind of it's it's kind of a broad statement. Um, so Emma, if someone let me think of how to phrase this. Let's say someone does keto wrong. Um, let's say they are doing too low of a calorie intake. That can lower T3. So going on a low carb or low calorie diet can lower T3. And there are some studies that say if you remain in low carb for extended periods of time without ever coming out of ketosis, that that can lower T3 as well. That remain, I mean, honestly, that's debated. That's debated. And Rory, if you um, end up watching this, that'd be great for you to jump in because I know that you are in the reversing diabetes group. Um, Rory Marshall is one of the admins. So is Donna in the attuned thyroid group. Let me speak on this really quickly. I, I encourage you to join the attuned thyroid group because that's where you're going to get actual real information instead of a ton of opinions that might be wrong. The admins do a great job at taking down anything that is just wackadoodle um, opinions that, you know, my brothers, sisters, husbands, cousins, aunt, whatever, tried it and saw it on Dr. Oz and it worked really well. Um, so narrow your groups down. I know I'm kind of going off on, on a side note over here. Narrow your information sources. So Rory, if you are listening and, and watching this, because I know Donna always posts this in the attuned Chime in on this because I know there's a lot of chitter chatter about staying low carb for an extended period of time, lowering your T3. Now, I know you've been low carb forever, Rory. I've been low carb forever, although I do have my days of coming out of ketosis. I have my days where I'm going to eat a sweet potato. I'm going to have that bun on the burger because it's the best damn burger ever. Um, I'm going to have a real ice cream because... Sarah's here down at our beach, Donna, they have this uh, orange and vanilla swirl and it tastes like, what are those push-ups that we used to get? You know, those little push-up things from the ice cream man. So it tastes like that. And I'm going to go get real ice cream. So I'm going to come out in and out of ketosis. Um, and in addition, I'm on T3 therapy. So it's hard to say hard and fact truth, Emma, you can't say across the board, keto lowers T3. Are you doing it wrong? Are your carbs or your calories too low? Are you never coming out of it? Um, are you, is your thyroid even optimized? So there's that whole question. Too hard of a question to answer. But I guess in general, I would say, don't believe the hype. Keto is pretty darn good for you. And I think it's just about, you know, diet variation, carb cycling. Um, throwing in a high carb day every once in a while because, you know, why not? Go have the bun on the burger. Have a beer. All right. 
We covered everything. We're going on an hour. So thank you so much for joining and I will see you guys this week. Okay, love you all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Thyroid Fix Podcast. Please share this and any episode that you absolutely love on your social media platforms. And please give me a review. It is so appreciated. It just gets the message out even more. Now, as a disclaimer, we know that this is just intended for educational purposes only and is not meant to treat or diagnose any medical condition. You can always consult your healthcare professional with any questions. If you want to reach out to me, you can go to my website at amyhorneman.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Amy Horneman Nutrition. And you can subscribe to my YouTube channel to see live videos and all the good stuff that I put out through the week. In addition to this podcast, just search me on YouTube and subscribe to my channel. 